Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Rose Metal Podcast hosted by Emily Watson. In this podcast, we talk about the transition out of sports and any struggles athletes may have faced during sports or afterwards. Rose Metal's mission is to provide resources and support for current and former athletes. Corey Camp swam in college at the University of Delaware. He owns a brand called Forever Athlete, which we will be talking about. He wrote a book, does public speaking, has a podcast, and makes content on social media. In this podcast, we'll be talking about all of those things, along with the struggles he's faced with finding a career path and a healthy lifestyle. So thank you for being on this podcast. Emily, thank you for having me. I'm excited to jam with you today. Yeah, me too. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. So you gradu- you graduated with your degree in exercise science. Um, do you feel like you would have done a different degree if you weren't a student athlete? Um, it's a great question. And honestly, I don't think so because it's been, it was always an interest of mine, um, for as long as I can remember, as long as swimming was a career path and dream, number one, number two was always, I wanted to go to physical therapy school. And the easiest way to do that in the way that made the most sense was to major in exercise science, kinesiology, as some places call it, um, so I, I think regardless of if I was an athlete in college or not, I would have gone that path. The question would become, would I have gotten into grad school if I wasn't a student athlete? Mm-hmm. That one might be, <laughs> that would be different. <laughs> might have been a little different, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't think I would have changed my major. Um, so with that, what was your experience with finding a job slash that whole experience after college? Um, it was tough. I was very, very lost. Um, like I said, career number two or dream number two was becoming a physical therapist. And to do so, you had to go to physical therapy school. And I just kind of really bet on the fact that because I was a swimmer and did pretty well at it, that naturally I would get into the grad schools that I applied for. I mean, even, I don't know how it was for you, but for me personally, applying for undergrad, even I only applied to Delaware. Like I went through the recruiting process, signed an NIL uh, letter of intent there to go there. National letter of intent for those who aren't familiar with that term. So signed my letter of intent in the fall uh, after a recruiting trip to Delaware, only applied there, got in. It was funny. My mom was like, what are you going to do? What if you don't get in? I was like, mom, I signed this letter. Like I have to get in. They have to let me (laughs) in essentially. Yeah. And I, so that was really easy for me. And I, you know, maybe unknowingly or very naively thought that uh, grad school would be very similar process. Like I had swimming carry me to get into an, a good undergrad program. And while I was there at Delaware, completing my four years undergrad, their physical therapy school ended up becoming number one in the nation. I thought, well, that's perfect. I can just basically apply to the number one nation, number one school in the nation. And because I'm a standout athlete here, I'm going to get in. Well, I quickly found out that, you know, a 2.9 GPA does not get you into the number one school or the number 100 school or any school that I apply. Well, even if you went to the same school, even if I went to the same school, um, I, had letters of recommendations from professors and they, they liked me and they would, were trying to do anything that they could to help me out. And honestly, it's like a mentor of mine kind of sitting down with me and being like, look, you kind of got two options. You can go another route and give this another go in a year or two, or 
what I would recommend is going back to a community college, retaking a lot of these core classes that you ended up getting like high C's, low B's in and boosting your GPA. And I was like, uh, I didn't finish up school to go to more school just to then get into more school. So I said, thanks. No, thanks. I'm not going to do that route. Um, and yeah, that kind of sent me down this path of just trying to figure out what was next. It went from in March, I was swimming my last meet ever. That did not end the way that I would have liked it to end, but you know, it is what it is. That's what happened uh, to getting denied from all these schools that I applied for to all of a sudden being like, I graduate in a month, crap, I need to figure it out. I've always been the guy that's had it figured out. And right now I don't, I don't have an answer. People are asking me what's next, what job am I taking? Where am I going to live? Yeah. And it caused me a ton of stress. And I kind of just went with the first thing that kind of came into my lap was a job doing mortgage refinancing. Um, I was doing VA cash out refi loans in a call center, uh, pretty much close to home. Didn't move in with my parents, but moved to Baltimore with a few teammates. And it was it was, it was what it needed to be at that point in time. That's for sure. I wouldn't have traded that experience, um, but I learned very quickly, like, that's not what I wanted to do. That's not where my passion uh, really lied. So that was kind of the early stages of figuring out what is career post swim look like. Um, but I was very lost and I yeah. wanted a quick fix. I wanted fast money because I thought that that's what success was. And you found something like pretty straight away and that that sales right yeah and i i came to find out that you know most sales jobs they see athlete experience they don't really care about gpa they just start licking their chops like okay cool this this guy or girl is gonna knock it out of the water we're gonna hire them uh it's true i think i saw research recently showing i want to say it's over 30 percent of former athletes go into sales so it's for good reason but it isn't for everyone. There's a reason why it's not 100% of former athletes going yeah. to sales. Yeah. Um, I was not happy. I wasn't fulfilled in it. Um, but that took me a while to realize. That's still a lot of athletes that go into sales, though. But um, I definitely relate with, like, the whole pressure of, like, so what's next? Because for me, people were asking me that question during my senior season. I was mm-hmm. like, what do you mean? Why are you asking me what's next? I'm trying to play here. <laughs> So. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Because you don't you don't really want to consider what's next while you're in it because in your head then you're you're justifying it as it's taking away from the right now. And what I've learned since is there's a delicate way to go about and that's really what Forever Athlete is geared towards um, to tackle this problem from both ends. While, while you're still in athletics, how can you plant the seeds to really create buy-in, to give a crap about life post-sport? Well, it's by unlocking flow and understanding the flow state and that in-the-zone, in-game moments uh, mentality. And we can find that out and discover it, not just on the field, but beyond it while we're still in sport. Because the more flow we get, the more flow we get. So if we're getting it in other areas of our life, we're going to be playing better. And then we understand how to get it in other areas of our life. So when we lose access to that one primary flow activity, which sport is for so many of us, it's not as much of a dip. 
in mental performance, mental well-being um, on the flip side. So it is tough to, yes, like while you're in it, I was the same way. I didn't want to go to the extracurricular stuff that athletics was providing us. Right. I didn't want to take time out of my nap time to say <laughs> I'm going to you know, apply to jobs or apply to internships, whatever that may be. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I feel you. It's tough, but I think yeah. there is a solution there that has, Definitely. I've seen to work. Definitely. Uh, but I'll, we'll go into your forever athlete in a minute, but I just wanted to mention first uh, that I definitely had the same experience with like, I only applied to the university of Tulsa and I got in because I was an athlete and I just, I never really thought I was going to go to grad school, but um, when the opportunity came up, I kind of thought the same thing as you, like, oh, I have athlete on my resume and I have a business degree, business management degree for my undergrad. I can definitely get into the top Oregon school um, for MBA. And I was quickly shut down. Um, They were just like, no, you're, I, I don't remember even what the score was called, the, the test they have to take for that. But yes, it wasn't the GRE. Uh, it was like the M something. Um, but I had to take it and I just I'm not good at taking tests. And I just I didn't get in because of that test score being low and which was like really terrible. So I almost wasn't able to go to the University of Oregon because of that, because because I'm a GA um, and I wasn't an actual um, athlete on the team. They couldn't just go to the go to the registrar and be like hey let this girl in like no I had to go I had to go for school also but uh luckily I found a program that works with GAs like that but um it, I definitely I didn't get into my first choice of MBA actually there you go yeah it, it's funny how that all works out yeah you know, in the moment it feels like the world's crashing down for sure yeah I mean I, yeah. I told people for a while it's like if I had just gotten an interview, I would have nailed it. Like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So I, I feel like really lucky at they accepted me because I um uh, I was really pushing the MBA situation at Oregon and um I was like, no, I'm gonna make it in and no. Uh, so I ended up applying for the nonprofit management um late. And luckily the luckily the guy in charge really likes athletes. <laughs> so um it worked out really great. Um, I still feel like I was, I definitely was qualified for the program. I, it was just bad that I applied late. Um, but yeah, we, we, we made it work. <laughs> um, so moving on to your forever athlete, you kind of mentioned it a little bit. So if you could like bring it down to like a sentence or two, what is forever, forever athlete and how did you start it? Yeah, it's holistic resources for current and former athletes to get more proactive with their mental health. Basically, centering the the athlete experience around community content and coaching. And really how I ended up getting started with it was as a result of my own journey, of my own trying to figure out things and feeling lost and dealing with mental health struggles of borderline depression, definitely turns to addictions of drowning out my problems with alcohol. And thankfully it stopped at that substance for me, but I know for a lot of athletes, it doesn't. I saw that there's a huge need to be addressed here. While 
when we're in athletics um, at the NCAA level, pro level, uh, Olympic level, whatever, we do have access to a lot of really fantastic resources. But to your point, we don't really take advantage of them. And then when it's all over is when we need it really the most, all of those resources disappear. They just, we lose access to them, right? You might get the one strength coach that's super nice and still writes you programming or the dietitian from your undergrad that you could hit up if you did have some questions on like, how do I eat post-grad that I'm not swimming five, you know, 5,000, yeah. <laughs> burning 5,000 calories a day anymore. <laughs> um, like that caught up very quickly to me. So it was born out of this, I saw this gap, saw this need. And honestly, during the pandemic, when the world shut down, I was at that time, I was an assistant fitness director, managed a team of about 50 employees underneath me. Um, I was busy, but I finally had like free time in my hands. And with that, I just had so many conversations with so many other athletes. I was like, there has to be something that gets to get created in this. So it started with content, started with podcasts, social media. The more people that saw this um, really resonated with it. It was like, okay, what are the actual resources that these athletes need? What are, what are they looking for the most? And I identified it was really in that holistic sense. Some people yeah. are struggling with how to eat. Some people are struggling with how to exercise. What does movement get to look like post-sport? Uh, and then others are really struggling with the mental and emotional uh, capacity, filling the void that now exists now that they're the first love of their life, their their sport is no longer a part of it. How yeah. do they grieve that that breakup process and heal yeah, that breakup? Yeah, exactly. So it's a very holistic approach. Um, I've realized very quickly I'm not an expert in everything, so have started to really bring in a lot of other experts, leaders in their field, people that I've gotten to know and trust and have helped me in my own individual journey and then creating it in a way that it is accessible at scale for as many athletes as possible. I saw another opportunity in the life coaching space in particular. I saw personally how beneficial life coaching was for me, but I quickly identified that when you're a 22 year old, recently retired, recently graduated uh, athlete, you don't have $10,000 plus to put down towards a life coach, which on average is like the average life coaching cost. Some are way more than that. And while there's value to it, they, they can be very beneficial. I thought those are the people that need this kind of help the most. How can we make this accessible? So that's at the core pillar for us is making the help and the resources as accessible as possible for the people that need it the most. I don't think anyone should be priced out of overall well-being and just core fundamentals of living a quality life um, just because of their age, situation, financial situation, whatever that may be. So would you say you're mostly on TikTok? Uh, for content-wise, yes. Um, TikTok, YouTube, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, a little bit all over. What's your have, TikTok? What's your TikTok handle? Uh, TikTok is just at Forever Athlete. All right, everyone, go check out his stuff. 
I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's how I found you was TikTok. But um, yeah, no, the the transition out of sports, there's so many aspects to it, especially um, even what we were talking about with like trying to afford or have the time to go back to school. Um, mm -hmm. That's another whole aspect to it. And um, so you ended up getting like a certification in mental um, mental performance coaching, right? Yep. So I got a mental performance coaching cert. I ended up going through a neuroscience cert as well um, through Flow Research Collective. So that was how I really started to unpack and understand flow that in, like I said earlier, that in the zone headspace that so many athletes are familiar with. I was fascinated with this idea that we can recreate that in all seasons of our life. It doesn't, it's not dependent on our sport. Right. And you've also mentioned to me that you do like little retreats and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Started um, this year in 2022. I'm like blanking on the years. Time's just been <laughs> flying by, right? Yeah. Um, started this year with this concept called Away Games. Uh, so similar probably to you and your experience, um, a lot of athletes, we get to travel to really, really cool places, yet we never actually get to experience the local culture of the places that we go to. Right. We're just there to play our game, our tournament, our meet, whatever. We go to the venue, we go to the hotel, and maybe if we're lucky, we have a, we got a cool coach, they'll take us out to like a restaurant or two in that area. But for the most part, you don't really get to go to these cities right. and that's what i was kind of frustrated with i was like wait i've i've been to seattle i've been to greenville north carolina i've been to buffalo i have been to some really cool spots across the world but i never actually got to experience them so started these retreats calling them away games giving athletes this do-over of sorts to go back to maybe cities that they've been to or explore new cities in that process going through some personal development workshops there, going through some workouts together, really team building and bonding experiences um, mm -hmm. so that when they leave at the end of these four days, not only have they felt like they have a pretty good grasp of the city, but now they have what I like to call life teammates with them as well. They'll, they come as strangers and they leave as these life teammates, these friends where it lights me up seeing on social media, like two of the, the girls that went to our most recent one here in Austin about a month and a half ago, they just tagged me on Sunday that they went to church together in Philly. One of them was oh. and they met up and they went to church and then they went to a pumpkin patch and they spent the day together. And I was like, this is so freaking cool. Like this network, this community of people wouldn't exist if it wasn't for these experiences that tie into it. So that's why I'm like, I get so excited about the away games because it's more than just a four day thing. Like it, people are continually meeting up every time. So how do you, how do you get people to sign up for these away games? Um, it's, it's all on our website, which is just forever-athlete.com. Um, and yeah, that's, we run them once a quarter. So our next one actually is out your way, out in San Diego um, in March is our next one. We took a little break for the, the holidays here, figured yeah. with people traveling between Thanksgiving and Christmas, didn't want to add another 
thing to their list. Um, enjoy the family time. And then we'll be set and get after it in the, the new year together. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm sure we can talk about forever athlete for a lot longer, but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to move on to your All book. Good. So uh, what, what is your book? So also titled forever athlete, um, forever athlete connect with your true identity daily. It is a compilation of stories from 18 different perspectives, 18 different athletes sharing what it meant for them to find their true self, ways that have worked for them, tips, tricks, uh, insights, stories. And that was really a, a byproduct of after hosting the podcast for going on at that time, a little over a year and a half, I had this idea of like, what if we took the best, the best podcasts that we've had so far and sit down with them and allow them to tell their story fully in their own words, give them each a chapter and they can speak to their experience and bias because I, I facilitated the project, but I think it's pretty cool. Um, and within that, the feedback that I've gotten is people, I've had people come to me and they're like, I haven't read a book start to finish in years, but yours was the first one. And it's because I found that since each chapter is written by a different person, it reads very differently. It almost reads as these just short stories. So it becomes very stomachable. Of, I can read 10 pages today. And then you just, you like the stories and you see a, a bit of yourself in each of those stories. So you read the next chapter, the next chapter. And then before you know it, you've gone through the whole book. Um, but that's really the, the focus about it is kind of putting up this mirror for the reader, for them to identify themselves and see really what can they get to know and learn about themselves through hearing other people's perspective and go from there. Yeah. And what you can learn from what these people did that you can help yourself with too. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's really awesome. And you said it's becoming bestseller. As, as of a few months ago, we were, we were number one in eight different categories on Amazon. Awesome. There. Right. Yeah. That's really awesome. Well, thank you. Um, you also do public speaking events. So what do you talk about in your, in your events? I do. Um, so it varies by the by the organization, by whether it be a corporate um, event or a athletic department that I'm going into. But usually it's centered around the idea of finding your flow, finding that space where you feel confident, you feel like you can trust yourself. And how can we get there with more more, I, I would say more consistency is the best way to put it. So that's really what my, my talk is centered around is helping people undercover, uncover their true strengths. What do we mean by those? How do they unlock them? And how can they get to show up in their day-to-day -day life? It's a mix of my story. It's a mix of neuroscience. Uh, and it's a mix of tangible, actionable exercises as well. I, I think that's the biggest thing that separates me from a lot of people, a lot of speakers is I don't want someone to just hear my story and be motivated because motivated and motivation only lasts if maybe a day or two. 
maybe a week if it's a really good, powerful talk. But if I can give you actionable steps that you are motivated to go take, now all of a sudden we've created some lifelong change and that's going to be way more impactful than the rah-rah. Yeah, like this is my story. This is how I overcame this heart condition. This is how I overcame, you know, my addiction to, to alcohol and have been sober for a year and a half, almost two yeah. years now. Like there's yeah. there's merit in those stories for sure. But I I'm always one where I want to share my experience through the lens that encourages others to create a new experience for themselves, because that's truly what impact means to me. Uh, and that's what I lead with, whether it be coming on a podcast or speaking in front of audiences. Yeah. And would you say you found your, like what works for you with your flow? Yeah. It's for me, it's understanding kind of the underlying tangible intangibles that need to exist for me to be able to focus first and foremost. Um, focus is what fuels flow for anyone. If you can't focus, it's going to be a lot harder to find flow. Um, so it's a precursor. So setting up my environment in ways where it's clean, in ways that there's not a ton of clutter, whether it's I'm sitting down for work and I'm very clear on, hey, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central Time today, I'm podcasting with you. And that's the the only thing that's going on here. I'm not checking emails. I'm not doing the other things that I quote unquote need to do. Uh, but I'm clear on what needs to happen during this hour. And I'll set an intention before popping on here as well. It's like taking some time to do 30 seconds to a minute of just some calm breathing, closing my eyes, getting clear asking myself, what is it that I want to convey as I'm showing up in this space and then going from there. So that's for me, some tangible ways that I've been able to find flow. Everyone has their own unique recipe. Everyone has their own unique things that work for them or don't work for them. I always encourage people to, Hey, first and foremost, be curious, try some new things out and just take feedback as you are doing the curious things if you're trying breathing for a minute before hopping into work take feedback with how you feel afterwards reflect did that work for you did that not work for you do you need to try more of it do you need to do less of it everyone has a different window there um and then same thing with like getting clear of what gets to happen during the time that you are actually allotting it some people need to break it down all the way to they've been procrastinating on something, for example, they need to break it down to a level of like, I need to sit down at computer. I need to turn on computer. I need to type in my password. I need to open up the internet. But when I open up the internet, I need to go to this website and only this website, not any others. And yeah. like, if they can write out this checklist before they do any of that, now all of a sudden like the MB, ambiguous like cloud of uncertainty that exists in their head kind of dissolves and they can get clear so now they can focus and when they sit down they go through those steps and it's just boom boom easy easy yeah. stuff it's no different than when you and i got to the elite levels of our respective sports uh it became second nature to us how to warm up and like how to perform 
And you didn't have to think about this is how I throw a softball and this is how I hit a softball and this is how I field it and all the little steps that go into it. It just happened. Yeah. Same thing with swimming. Like it's such a complex sport. There's a time and place to train the little mechanics and the, and the bits and pieces, but in time comes time for finding flow and performing you got to just be able to trust that you've done everything you could up until that point and just let it literally let it flow. Yeah. It sounds like a very simplified way of looking at how to focus, um, like taking things step by step, just like we did in our sport. Like we didn't think of practice as three hours of just going at your sport super hard. Like we took it as, Oh, for the first, whatever amount of time it's warming up. And then uh, in the warm up, we're doing this, this, and this, like, just like that. Um, and do you talk about your experience with going sober a lot in your public speaking events? Not a ton, honestly, because, and it's more of a personal choice because in full transparency, I don't know if it's a forever thing for me. I would love to get to a point where moderation does exist. I don't know if that will or will not happen. So for me, the most authentic thing isn't to go up on a stage and say, I got sober. This is how I did it. You should do the same because I know it's not a choice for everyone. It's a choice that each person gets to look at themselves in the mirror and decide, is it one that they need to make? Um, And that's going to, again, that answer looks different for everyone based off their values, based off of what they want in life, based off of what currently is going on in their life as well so yeah i don't i don't talk about it a ton in in public speaking engagements but i do create a little bit of content around it i mean i i was hesitant to even say anything about sobriety until i hit a year mark just because again personally like i didn't want to come off premature i didn't want to say hey i went sober for 10 days and it's the best thing ever you have to go sober too (laughs) Again, like I've tried it for, I don't even know, like almost a year and 10 months, a year and 11 months here. Um, I can only tell you my, the date that I chose to get sober because it was New Year's Day on 2021. Um, And that was just more of a personal choice of I, night before, gotten invited to two different parties. One was a dinner party with two friends where it was very intimate. We like potluck cooked. And then the other one was this like pretty much let's forget 2020 blackout, bring in the new year, forget all about how bad 2020 was kind of house party. And when I really sat with it, my decision that night, I was like, you know, I don't want to go to the blackout house party anymore. Like that just doesn't excite me. Like what excites me is the intimate dinner party. I'm going to go there. Yeah. And that was, I had my last drink that night, had like an old fashioned or something. I don't even remember exactly. Um, and I just decided, you know, that next morning, that was a good choice the night before. How can I just take one day at a time making choices off of that feeling? What do I feel more called to do? And when I tap into that intuition, I haven't found myself in a situation where I've really said, I feel more called to drink than to not drink. So I haven't drank. Um, That might change. 
I don't know. I'm yeah. just taking again. I'm taking it one day at a time. I'm not committed yeah. to the next ten days, or the next sixty days, or the next year. It's just yeah. As of right now, I don't feel the need. Yeah, I, the reason why I ask is it seems like it might have to do with focus. Mm. Well, a hundred percent. There's there's so many factors, and that you know that definitely plays a role in my decision when I decided to start forever athlete and go out on my own. And now I'm not, I'm not, I can't count on a paycheck coming every two weeks from a employer. I am the employer. I need to be able to show up and I need to be able to make ends meet. Um, I could be okay with failing if I did everything that I could. And one of the lenses that I look at, I'm like, if I'm getting blackout drunk like I used to Thursday through Sunday, I'm not doing everything that I could to make this thing successful. And I'm actually not showing up and practicing what I'm preaching to the people that I am showing up for. So that's it definitely impacts focus for sure. But that's also another reason kind of behind it for me. That's a huge, like real self-reflection. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, so we're going to move on to um, just kind of a more of a random question. So what was one of your favorite moments while competing? Mm. I think favorite moment from an actual competition has to be the, the standout race in my career was my sophomore year. I ended up qualifying first for finals um, and in the 500 free at conferences and I remember going out for this race and the best piece of advice my dad ever gave me was just swim your own race. Swimming is a really interesting sport because at the end of the day, you can only control what you're doing. You can't control what the other seven guys or girls in the pool are doing against you. Um, so you can go best time and still lose and you kind of have to be able to be okay with that because it's beyond your control. Uh, but when you qualify first, obviously some pressure gets put on you. You get like, start to think, okay, cool. If I qualified first, I, that means I should, I'm the favorite to win this thing. I went the fastest in the morning. I can do it again at night. And this race started off. I don't know where, like what happened to me. I just like was so slow off the start, but in my head, I was just like, you know, I'm a distance swimmer. This isn't a full-on distance event, but I'm going to trust my preparation. I'm going to trust myself, and I'm going to just be confident in my race plan, my race strategy, which wasn't to go out super, super fast like a lot of the people around me were. But about halfway through the race, I was seated first, and I found myself in, like, seventh place. And I was like, that that's going to be very embarrassing if I finish – and I'm like, not even on the podium. Like I got to make some shifts. I got to make some changes. And so I just started one by one picking off person after person. And to the point where with about a hundred to go, I found myself in like fifth place. I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm making up some ground, but the race is 80% over. There's 20% left. Like I got to just dig deep. I don't care how much this hurts, how much this sucks. I got to finish and I ended up out splitting the field by about two and a half 
three seconds that last hundred, which is like unheard of. No one, no one usually does that. Um, and I was able to go from like neck and neck with the first place leader that last turn. We kind of looked at each other underwater. And I just like shook my head. I was like, nope, like there's no way he's beating me. Um, I was able to, to rock it out ahead and ended up winning by a little over a half a second, which from the place that I was in to that margin of victory in swimming was um, very unheard of. It was kind of funny to watch the the replay broadcast um, because I wasn't even in frame for a majority of the race um, and then came back and ended up winning it. So that's that's the standout one for me. That's kind of like the highlight reel that I play in my head even now where if I'm feeling down and out and not really confident in my ability, I kind of just take a second. Uh, I tap back into that feeling of what I was feeling at each stage during that race. And it's just a subtle reminder that like, yo, I can, I can be that guy. I can, I can get it done. It might take a little bit longer, but I'm doing my race and it's going to work out. Let's, let's freaking go and go from there. That's awesome. And that really, I feel like that really ties in with everything you were saying about taking things one at a time and really focusing in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many parallels that sport, I think, teaches us about life. That's one of the things I mean by like centering the athlete experience at community content and coaching. Um, It's putting a lot of this stuff that can be really nerdy neuroscience or very woo-woo, spiritual, out there, personal development, whatever you want to call it, uh, and putting it in terms that you and I and so many athletes actually understand and comprehend, and then putting it into experiences where, I mean, for the most part, I would say most athletes are kinesthetic learners. We can actually feel it. And if we can feel it, then we're go- we're golden. It's money, right? Um but yes, it, it's about that focus. Just one thing at a time is the biggest lesson there. Yes. All right. Last question. So what aspect out of the transition out of sports was the hardest for you? And what advice can you give to athletes based on what you learned from that? Mm. I think the hardest for me was the identity piece. That's why I'm so passionate about the identity piece. I didn't, I didn't resonate former athlete, because to me, when I heard that term, what I heard was, hey, it's really cute that you did this thing for like a majority of your life, but it's time to move on to the real world now. So pack up those medals, pack up the accolades, put them in a box, throw them in your parents' basement. It's just going to collect dust. It's time to move on. And I was like, but there's so many lessons and nuggets there. Like how, like what what do you mean? Just pack it up. So I really struggled with the identity. I really struggled when I looked in the mirror and, and saw someone that one, I didn't even recognize. I went so far the opposite direction. When I graduated, I was, well, when I stopped swimming, I was like 155, 160 pounds. It's a really skinny distance swimmer. And for me, the identity was, I didn't want to even recognize that swimmer anymore. I wanted to reinvent myself. So I threw myself into heavy drinking, binge eating on the weekends and lifting really heavy because I thought as long as I lifted heavy, like I'm good and (laughs) quickly put on about 45, 50 pounds in about seven to eight months. Really didn't recognize who I saw in the mirror. 
I did not feel how I was so used to feeling. I didn't feel confident. I felt lost. I felt even more so at, at, at odds with who I was. And I was like, okay, I need to, to change how I even just view myself. And that was, that was one of the, the trickiest parts for me. And that's always my advice to, to people as they start that transition sit with who are you but through the lens of curiosity you don't need a finite answer it's gonna shift it's gonna change and that's okay but never lose sight of that curiosity sit and play with that just like you played on the playground and found the things you enjoyed and you didn't enjoy as a kid you can do the same thing as an adult it just looks a little bit different but don't put so much pressure on yourself to have the immediate answer right away. Be curious, try some things. You might find something that you're passionate about. And then from there, you can continue to go all in. You can like look at going all in on that and exploring what that gets to look like. But the whole time having these kind of feedback checks and balances of recognizing who's in the mirror. Am I, what am I doing for that person today? How can I make them proud? And that's a, a great way to just get clear on your identity, get clear on who you are, what it is that you want. And again, that can change. Like it, it sounds like very large, big questions. They don't have to have finite answers every single time. Yeah. One day at a time, one thing at a time. hundred percent. Do you have anything else to add? No, I think that's, uh, we covered a lot, but I, I think for, Whoever is going, listening to this and made it this far, if they find themselves in this situation just, again, one day at a time. Ask yourself each day, what can you do? What are you curious about today? How can, you, how can that show up in your life? The more you can look at life through this curiosity lens, the more you can start to experience that flow. And that helps your focus. That helps then fuel that flow on the back end. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Corey. I, I really enjoyed hearing everything you had to say. Thank you, Evelyn. I appreciate you and just want to acknowledge you for holding this space. And I think what you're doing is absolutely incredible. So thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Rose Metal Foundation and Twitter at Rose Metal Org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it and leave a review. It really helps us by spreading the word. Sign up for our newsletter to get weekly updates from us. Another way you can support us is by making a donation at www.rosemetalfoundation.org forward slash donate. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are eligible to be tax deductible. So far, we have shared the stories of over 40 current and former athletes, and we have a mentorship program called Championship Mentoring.